Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. If you'll open up with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians uh, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to switch it up on you this morning. If you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, I'm trying to keep you on your toes uh, each week. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look at not only out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You may be seated. We're going to continue our study this morning in the book of Philippians, and we're actually going to continue to build uh, on the uh, topic that we started last week uh, on unity, unity in the church. And uh, Paul talked about that uh, in, 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 in our, ser- our sermon last week in verses 27 uh, through 30, and unity and uh, that we're to live in integrity and um, that we are to be of one spirit and uh, that we are to strive together, that we're to work together, stuff together, the, the struggle together, uh, right, and, and support each other and uh, uphold one another. Uh, and so this week he's going to continue, we're going to continue that theme starting with chapter 2. And so he's asking a question sort of, because the idea is he's going to say, if God has done these things for you, if you have experienced the things uh, that I've listed here, then you have no choice but to live in unity. That's what he's saying uh, to his readers. So he starts out and says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, that word consolation should be translated encouragement. So he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, What he's saying to his readers is if you have found encouragement in God, if Christ has encouraged you, if Christ has moved and changed your life to to encourage you to keep moving, to keep moving forward, to encourage you to, uh, to hold on to life, right? Encourage you to live a life of holiness, to lift you up when you're down, to hold you up when you feel like you're gonna fall, right? If God has done that for you, if he has encouraged you, I don't know about you, but God has encouraged me a time or two in my life, right? Uh, Not only when I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, but also many years later when I ran from him as far as I could in the opposite direction, angry and frustrated for several years, uh, mad at God, bitter, uh, mad at myself, mad at everybody around me. Uh, and then one day he uh, had mercy upon me 
Uh, and in that moment, he encouraged me to let me know that he still loved me, that he still cared for me, that uh, he still had a purpose for my life, right? He encouraged me to hold on, to not give up, but to come back to him. I'm sure that if you will think about it and take a moment, you have ex moments in your life where Christ has encouraged you not only through salvation, but encourage you to hold strong in face of trials and tribulations. Encourage you when you were ready to give up and throw in the towel. Encourage you when you had questions of why and you didn't get your answer or not getting your answer immediately. And so God encouraged you to let you know he had everything under control. That everything, uh, he had you and your circumstance in the palm of his hand. Right, encouraged you. And so he says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if Christ has encouraged you in any way, he then says, if there's any comfort of love, I love the Greek word here that's translated comfort because what it conveys is the idea that God comes down and whispers in your ear. That God whispers in your ear words of love, to encourage us, to comfort us in difficult times. And it's very difficult. And if you have not experienced this in your life, uh, and sometimes I think we experience it and we don't even recognize what is happening. But when a Christian is struggling and worried and ready to give up, God will many times come in beside them and whisper words of comfort. Let us know that he loves us, that he cares for us, and that everything's going to be okay, right? That everything's going to work out. I've told you many stories of my life of God comforting me, right? Comforting me in times when I did not know what he was going to do, how things were going to work out. Uh, when I was laid off of work and I had a family, uh, two kids, a mortgage, everything. I didn't know what we were going to do. It was a sudden layoff. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I, did, I was a young man. I didn't have a lot of money saved up. I didn't know what we were going to do. And I cried and I begged and screamed and I pleaded, God, what am I going to do? But throughout that, he comforted me and told me it was going to be okay. Right? That whisper of comfort that you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's all going to be okay. Amen. He then goes on to say, if any fellowship of the Spirit, as we discussed last week, everyone who knows Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He comes up and he, he comes in, he takes up record, uh, a residence. That's why Paul said that we are the tabernacle, the temple of the Holy Ghost. He lives inside of us. Uh, the book of Ephesians, as I said last week, Paul states that the Holy Spirit is a seal upon our lives. It says that we now belong to God. We are his. And so the Holy Spirit, along with him, comes many things, right? It, there comes peace, right? And with him comes assurance as well. With him comes strength, right? Uh, with him comes boldness. With him taking a residence inside of us. The, Paul said in the book of Romans, and I believe it's, uh, he says in the book of Romans, he says uh, that the Holy Spirit literally knows what we need 
And he intercedes on behalf for us to God. So the Holy Spirit is constantly working on your behalf. Right? Interceding on your behalf before God. He knows your thoughts. He knows your hurts. He knows your wounds. He knows your pain. He knows what's worrying you, what your guilt is, your shame is. And when you can't articulate it, he does. He prays for you. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He talks to God the Father on our behalf. When we don't know how to pray for ourselves, he's got it covered. And, and the Holy Spirit, he lives within you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Uh, all year long, 52 weeks out of the year. That means 24 hours a day, even when you're sleeping, he's talking to the Father about you. That's amazing to think about that he is there, he indwells us, and that he has a direct connection with the Father and with the Son because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The fellowship of the Spirit, the fact that God filled us with the Spirit and sealed us, right, with the Spirit, my goodness, that should excite us and it should humble us. Right? All sorts of pride. Any of that should go to the side, should be thrown away because I don't deserve him. Right? I even have times in my life, right, after he's indwelt me where I've done things I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed of. Right? But he stays with me. He doesn't leave me. He doesn't forsake me. He's sticking closer than a brother. He is right there, always and forever. If I know him as Lord and Savior, I am indwelt. That is a gift from God. It happens as soon as you are saved. So because we have fellowship in him, he says, if you've received any affection and mercy, that affection from God, the love of God. I've said it many times that God will never love you any more or any less than he does right now. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love toward us and that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us and he holds a great affection for us. God loves you more than you love your children and I know that's gotta be hard to believe because I love my sons more than anything in this world. I would give my life for them in an instant if it meant that they would not have to suffer or hurt. If it meant that they didn't have to have pain, I'd take it on for them. Let me experience it. I'll take it, God. And it's hard to imagine being loved like that or being loved more than that. But God loves us more than that. Right? Because here's the thing. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing could take his affection away from us. His eyes are upon us. Like the song says, his eye is on the sparrow and he watches over me. Right? If God's watching over the sparrow, his eyes are upon me. His gaze is upon me. His affection is upon me. And it will always be there. I can't lose it. It can't be taken away from me. His eyes are upon me. His affection upon me. And let me tell you something. If God is watching over you, it don't matter who else is looking. 
It doesn't matter what anybody else is plotting. It doesn't matter what anyone else has planned. None of that matters if God's affection is shown to you. If his eyes are upon you, you're going to be okay. That love that he has for us that no enemy can cross. No enemy can ruin it. No enemy can shatter it. No enemy can take it away. No enemy can stop the flow of God's love in our lives. He can't. He can't. God will never run out of love. Never. And even when we disappoint him, and even when there are times in our lives where we're rebellious and reject him, guess what? God still loves us. Oh, we hurt his heart. The Bible says he's a jealous God. He don't like it when we chase after idols. And we ch- it hurts him. It hurts his heart, right? Your, you, as parents, your kids ever break your heart? My kids have broke my heart a time or two. All three of them, right, have broke my heart. Be- but did that cause me to stop loving them? Not a chance. Not a chance. Like that, that father... That uh, with the son that took his inheritance and squandered it and ran away. And basically, essentially what he was doing was spitting in his dad's face. I mean, that's what he was doing. Rebelliously running away. That father, the Bible says, looked for him. He hadn't given up on his son. So even though his son had done all, uh, done uh, really, uh, other than taking his life, had done an awful, committed an awful atrocity against his father. Disrespected him. Yet his father was looking for him anyways to come home. My goodness gracious this morning, know that God's affection towards you, his love for you will never fail. It will never change. And even if you've messed up royally, even if you disappointed him, even if you've been rebellious, even if you've broken his heart, he's still waiting for you to return so that he can wrap his arms around you and show you his love once again and let you know that everything's okay. I forgive you. You are still my son. You are still my daughter. When the prodigal son's father put a robe, a cloak upon his back and put a ring on his finger, he was saying, son, you're still my son. You're not going to go be with the servants. I'm not making you live outside the house. You're still my child. God loves you. And even when you're rebellious, if you will confess, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive us. Always, he will have mercy uh, uh, towards us. So he says, of any affection, of any mercy. I don't know about you, but God has shown me mercy over and over and over again in my life. Mercy is that I deserved one thing, but he gave me a different outcome. He isn't holding it against me, right? Mercy is that God uh, looked upon me on salvation and said, I know that he doesn't deserve it. He has lived rebelliously, right? He has uh, at times blasphemed my name, right? He has uh, does not deserve, uh, to, he deserves, each of us deserve to spend eternity in hell. All of those things, right? But God said, you know what? I in mercy, because of my love for them, I'm going to show mercy and not hold them accountable for all of those things. I'm just going to forgive them. That's mercy. Amen. To forgive and to forget. The Bible says that when God forgives us, the psalmist writes, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. That's mercy. 
It's hard for you and I to understand that type of mercy because of our memories. We can't selectively forget things, right? We can't will ourselves to not hold something against somebody. It's hard when someone wrongs us. It's hard to show that type of mercy because listen, real love, real mercy, real forgiveness means that we never bring it up or hold it against that person again. I don't know about you. I wish I could tell you every point and every time in my life that I've shown real mercy and given real forgiveness, but I haven't. Sometimes it's taken decades, right? Decades of time and prayer and asking God for help to finally get to the place where you can truly forgive and no longer have an alt against your brother or against the person that hurt you. Amen. It's not easy. And so that should show you and I how, uh, how hard it is for us what a great miracle it is from God that he will show that mercy to us immediately as soon as we ask for forgiveness. He will never throw it up in your face again, the sin that you committed. Wow, the sin that I committed. He'll never bring it up again. He's never going to say, well, Curtis, you remember in 1995 when X happened? I'm still thinking about that. Keep it together. He'll never do it. Man may do that. Man may hold grudges. God does not. Right. He forgives and he forgets. He yeah. casts it. He will never hold it against us again. And if you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you have experienced that type of mercy. And it will never run out. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. He'll never run out of mercy. So he says, if all of these things are true. You've been encouraged by Christ. If you have found comfort of love in him, if you do have fellowship of the spirit, if you have experienced his affection and his mercy, and if you're a Christian, you have experienced all of those things. He says, then fulfill my joy. Literally what that means is complete my joy. Paul is saying, Unity, which is what he's going on to talk about here. Unity within the body of Christ brought him great joy. Listen, for Paul, it wasn't just about salvation. That was critical. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he was an evangelist. He brought the gospel to uh, the Gentiles. He was about salvation and preaching the gospel. But it was also about once he had preached the gospel and people had been saved, it was about them growing in Christ, developing in their relationship with him, and that body of Christians, the body of believers, growing and developing and, and striving, struggling, as he said last week, together, living this Christian life together, walking in this life together. And it broke his heart when there was disunity in the lives of Christian believers. It broke his heart. Right? It, but what gave him joy was when they walked in unity, when there was no disunity. So if you and I have experienced all of those things, we should easily be able to walk in unity with one another. If we appreciate the gravity, honest to goodness, the gravity of what the verses mean, as it relates to what we have experienced that God has given us, that it will, should cause you and I, as we discussed last week, to show grace abundant to those around us. Right? Because 
As we discussed last week, we all have the Holy Spirit. We're all saved, right? And we're, I'm going to go on here further to get into more detail. But the truth of the matter is, is that if we can understand even in some small part, the reality and the gravity of what Paul is saying there in verse one, then it should make it exponentially easier to live in unity. Because honest to goodness, I would not be standing here today if it was not for God. And I mean that quite literally. I would most likely have taken my own life more than one time if it had not been from God. I'm just being honest and transparent with you today. I don't deserve his grace or his mercy or his forgiveness. There are things I've done you guys don't know about, and I'm pretty open. I share a lot. But there are things only God and I know about, but he still have mercy upon me. Yeah. I don't deserve his mercy or his grace or his forgiveness. There have been times in my life when he gave me comfort, when I did not deserve his comfort, when I was angry and bitter and mad, when I would cry and instead of praying, I was yelling. But in his mercy and in his grace, he gave me comfort anyways to tell me he loved me. It was going to be okay. I didn't deserve any of that. So who am I to decide that somebody else doesn't deserve it? Who am I to question who God shows mercy to? Who am I to question who God shows grace to? Who am I to question who God comforts? Who am I to question who God encourages? If we would recognize that, folks, we would live in unity because we would want to uh, demonstrate the some, same love and grace and mercy that we've experienced to others. My goodness, grace is the church would be so much more productive and powerful if it would understand the gravity of that one single verse of what God has done for us. Not just once, but every single day. Every day, I experience his encouragement and his comfort and his affection and his love and his mercy. Every day, the Holy Spirit is inside of me and indwelling me. Every day. Not a one-time event. Not a sprinkling when I need it. All the time. Yes. All the time. So we should look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and see them the way that God sees them, the way that God saw us. Lost and depraved without hope. But oh my goodness, God had mercy upon me one day and he saved me and he set my feet upon the solid rock named Jesus Christ. And right, I didn't deserve it and you didn't deserve it. So let's look at our brothers and sisters that same way. So Paul says, complete my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So be like-minded. You and I, because we have experienced all of these things from Christ, and we know our brothers and sisters have experienced all of these things too, we're all on the same level. We all should be like-minded in our love for God and our love for each other. Does that mean we're all the same? Absolutely not. 
In fact, it's what our differences make us effective in the kingdom of Christ. Right? You can, if you have a, a palette of paint and all the colors are red, makes it difficult to do anything more than make a big red blob. No matter how much detail you try to provide, red on red is red. But when you have a palette of many colors, my goodness, when you lay them on the canvas together and you use them in the right way, that's how an artist gets a beautiful picture. An amazing picture. You can only do that kind of work and have those kinds of results when there is uh, uh, differences of people and personalities and talents and gifts in the body. Right? We're all members of one body, but we all have different functions, roles. And uh, so we're, you know, it's like a football team. You know, I happen to say football because I love football. I was watching football last night. Uh, And, you know, every position is different. Right? Every position is different. And if one person decides that they're important than all the others, they'll, they'll bring doom on a team. Right? If one person decides that they can do everything with the ball or they can do everything on defense, they will destroy the team because you have to know your assignment, function in your role, and work according to your talents, gifts, abilities. If you don't do it, you're going to cause problems. Uh, you know, if you got a, 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 a cornerback that decides that he's going to play linebacker, he's in trouble. Yep. <laughs> you know, if you got a, a running back that decides he's going to be the center or an offensive tackle, he's in trouble. Yeah. Uh, it ain't going to work. You've got to have those different talents and abilities. Don't mean you're all the same. And when you're not all the same, guess what? Every once in a while, you're not going to agree. But because of all the things that God's done for us in chapter 2, verse 1, when we don't agree, instead of allowing it become divisive and make us angry and frustrated with one another, we are like-minded and we say, God, we have the same goal, we have the same plan to serve you, to work in your kingdom. We're going to work this out. And it may mean saying that your idea and acknowledging someone else's idea is better than yours. Or it may mean I'm going to, in order to keep peace and unity, I'm going to back away and let this happen. And not only that, and I'm not, when it fails or if it fails, I'm not going to cheer it on. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to support that person and make sure it doesn't fail. That's where unity comes. That even when you don't agree with someone and the way they're doing something, as long as it's still biblical, right, and doesn't go against scripture, you are supporting them in their idea. Why? Because there's many different ways to do the same thing. Right? And so the body of Christ, we got to be like-minded with the same goal to, to win people to Christ and one day make it to heaven. Right? That same goal to be like minded. Having the same love. That means we gotta love everybody whether we like it or not. Right? You gotta love me. And even if I make you mad, guess what? You gotta say, God forgive me, I still love him. You gotta love me and I gotta love you. Just like you love your kids, even though they mess up, you have to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, even though they may hurt you. We're commanded. Not only that, but we don't get to choose uh, who it is that we show mercy to and who that we show love to. We don't get to choose that because someone dresses a certain way or has whatever their past is, we don't get to choose whether we show them love or not. We got to show them love. Even if you don't agree, you don't, you don't hold that against somebody. You show them love. 
You show them grace. You show them mercy. The church that I grew up in uh, was not legal, really that legalistic, but I know that, you know, they, there were women who didn't wear jewelry, right? There were women who wouldn't cut their hair. There were women who wouldn't wear makeup, right? Uh, there were men who only came to church in a three-piece suit. You didn't wear tennis shoes to church. Uh, you didn't wear jeans on Sunday mornings. There was this legal standard that you had to live to. And I'm going to be honest. If someone came in inadvertently not adhering to that standard, they got eyed. Yep. I'm, I'm going to tell you the facts. You guys can say you didn't do it. You never done anything like that. But I guarantee you, if someone came in here tattooed from face to foot, pierced all over, and walked up to the front, you would go, wonder what's going on there. That would be the human nature. But what we do is, is we allow God's nature to take control and we love on that person and know that God can love them, forgive them no matter what. We love and we encourage and we hold each other up. It doesn't matter if they come in flip-flops and shorts. I don't care. Right? I, I don't care. Come anyway. It doesn't matter. Right? None of that matters. I don't care if you're wearing jeans. I don't care. That's between, that's you and God. I got me and God's stuff. Yeah. I'm going to love you anyway. Yeah. What God convicts me about may not be what God convicts you about. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay. As long as, as, long as it's, you're not breaking anything that is clearly defined in Scripture, I don't care. It's between you and God. Right. right? And so we got to love have the same love for one another, being of one accord and of one mind. That um, being of one accord, the Greek word literally there means one-souled. S-O-U-L-E-D, one-souled, one accord. It means that we are all uh, one soul, one spirit with the same purpose. And that's how close we are supposed to be. Because the Holy Spirit lives in all of us. He's part of all of us. Here you go, guys. We're stuck together. We love each other. We disagree sometimes. We get angry sometimes. We get our feelings hurt sometimes. But we're in this for the long haul. Uh, we are one-souled. We have the Holy Spirit that lives in me, and the Holy Spirit lives in you, and we are saved by the same God by grace. Whether we like it or not, we're all together in common. We have that that we can never lose. And we got to make it work. Here's the thing. Paul knew how harmful division could be in a body. Division in a body will uh, uh, cause a body to not be able to, to do what it is supposed to do. And it will bring derision to the name of Christ. It will uh, cause people to question Christ and who he is. Right? That's what division does. It doesn't just affect us. It affects people watching. Yeah. Uh, because they're like, if they can't get it together, mm -hmm. if they are backbiting and sniping each other, right? Every time a church splits in anger and in frustration, the devil laughs and rejoices. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm not talking about God moving someone or a family to a different church. I'm talking about there is derision and someone rises up and does a coup and takes half the church with them. All that does is prevent the body from accomplishing the purpose it was supposed to do. And it causes the world to say, what is going on there? Them's the facts. It's not meant to be. And Paul understood the consequences of disunity and the body of Christ. And he said, complete my joy because all of these things are true. Live in unity. Be like-minded. Uh, being of one accord. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Let nothing be done with selfish ambition. You and I, by nature, all humans, are selfish and self-centered. We all are, right? The word there that's translated selfish ambition carries a connotation of strife. Because selfish ambition does what? It creates strife, right? When people are selfish and self-centered, only looking out for what they can do and accomplish... Right? You ever have those people who said, that's my ministry? That's my ministry? You can't participate in that. Or I decide who participates in that. Mm -mm. That God decides. Yeah. Right? I don't own a ministry. God owns everything. Mm -hmm. We got people that like to claim things as theirs when it belongs to God. And so we, we don't own it. God owns it. And here's the thing. If I own something, it's going to go, you know, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess if I own it. But if God owns it, he's going to prosper it, make it better. If God owns it, he'll do more than I even had it planned or imagined. If God owns it, he'll, I mean, he'll make something happen out of nothing. But if I own it, it's just going to die. All my talent and my gift and my enthusiasm, my charisma, may make it you know, grow a little bit and look pretty for a little bit. But ultimately, talent, gift, charisma can only take you so far and it will wither and die. Uh, my wife, and she's not in here so I can say this, uh, she loves to have flowers and plants. Now, she has gotten much better. Don't get me wrong. She has gotten much better. But early in our marriage, I felt sorry for all the plants that got brought into our house. I mean, they, she, they were being sacrificed to something greater. Right? Uh, they came in and they didn't stand a chance. Them poor babies. Uh, they came in and, and they were brought out in a trash bag. I mean, there's just no hope. And, uh, but they would come in and she had all kinds of excitement, Right? When the, the, this plant was going to be the one. And she'd come in, it had good soil in it, right? So it had started great. And she could make it live for a certain amount of time. But ultimately, that thing would die. For some reason, she didn't uh, give it fertilized. There would be some, overwatered it. There'd be some reason that in her knowledge and her strength, that plant would die. It would start out great. I remember we had a lemon tree. She started it out from a lemon seed and that thing grew and it was great. And then she didn't know how to properly take care of it and get the sun that it did. And after looking great, it died. Right? Now, the problem is, is that you can only do so much with your own gifts, talents, and abilities. At some point, you got to go on YouTube and find out what somebody else has to say on how to raise a lemon plant. Because I don't know it all. And here's the great thing about God.
We ask him, we talk to him, we ask him for guidance, we ask him for all those things. He is there to give it, provide it, and then when it reaches where we can't do anymore, he takes over from there. It is you and I who plant until it is God who gives the increase. Human ingenuity and talents and charisma can only take someone so far. It is literally, they will blow up, and blow out. Yeah. Uh, I uh, w- was in a uh, boys club for many years. And I remember when I was first learning how to start a fire, I w- could not do it. I was terrible. I had no patience. And I remember what I decided to do is I would cheat. We were having a, one of these test things and they had all of us set up and we had to, they gave us wood and we had, but we had to go find kindling and everything to build this fire. I had no patience. So I went and got a big pile of leaves. And I piled up that pile of leaves and I lit it on fire and it, it was beautiful. Fire everywhere. Guess what? While it looked spectacular and it lit fast, it did nothing. It burned out so quickly that the wood never caught fire. Nothing else caught fire. It burned too quickly. And that's what happens when we rely on ourselves and not upon God. It just, oh, it looks great. It looks spectacular and there's no results. So let nothing be done through selfish ambition. We gotta, uh, we, we, uh, because that causes strife to selfishly uh, serve uh, and think that we got it all together and to meet our own needs. The next one, it says, or conceit. The Greek word translated conceit there literally means empty glory. So when you and I are working and living self-centeredly and striving uh, in the kingdom, through selfish ambition, someday we're gonna, uh, we will uh, present empty glory to God. That's, that's, that's empty glory. It means nothing. It has no value. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Corinthians that when we're living our lives, Jesus Christ is the foundation. And upon that foundation, as we live our lives and we serve him, we are building upon it. We're either building on it with things that last, like precious metals and precious gems, right? Jewels, right? But then we're also building on it with things like hay and stubble. Things that do not last, right? Anything that you and I do in our lives through selfish ambition with uh, ulterior motives is hay and stubble. No matter what, when, uh, when it comes time, God's going to burn it all away and it'll leave empty. But the things that you and I did for him without ulterior motives, without selfish ambition, where we sacrificed ourselves that no one saw and, and no, you know, we weren't bragging on ourselves, right? We, we're doing things that only God saw. Those are the things that are built upon that foundation, those precious stones that when the fire comes, it stays. So all of my works done selfishly and with ulterior motives are burned away. Only the things which I do with integrity and I do in sacrifice to him and without getting glory from others. The Bible says if you do it to be seen, you've got your reward. Those things are burned away. It is the things that I do uh, in integrity and without ulterior motives. Those are the things that last. Those are the things that God is looking for. Otherwise, if we have a bowl of selfish ambition, it's empty. It's nothing but empty glory. Because here's the thing. Man's glory doesn't mean anything. 
We got athletes and actors and billionaires and inventors that have received man's glory. Someday, if they don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, it's nothing but an empty bowl. They will not be able to stand before God and say, well, I was a good X, Y, and Z. Talk to this person. Did you see, read my news articles? Did you see my bank account? Did you see X, Y, and Z? Did you hear what they said here? It doesn't mean anything. It is empty glory. Empty, empty glory. You keep putting in, but it doesn't mean nothing. Empty glory. So we're not to have selfish ambition. We're not to uh, have conceit. But what are we supposed to do? We're to be lowliness of mind. That word, Greek word translated lowliness there is almost is like a derogatory term. It is saying lower than the low to the low to you are worth nothing. So what Paul is saying is don't be these other things. Don't be selfish, uh, selfish. Don't be conceited. But lower yourself of mind. Understand that we are nothing without Christ. Understand that no matter what the world thinks about us, no matter how, what, where we are and see ourselves in life, we are nothing without him. As I said last week, salvation is the great equalizer. We are lowliness of mind, right? So let, uh, it says, uh, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You know what that means? That means that you are to humble yourself beside your brother and sister in Christ. Humility means serving someone regardless. Right? That's why, in the, you know, uh, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, that was God washing man's feet. That's humility. So even the greatest can be humble. Even the mightiest can be humble. God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, came to earth and washed the feet of men. He washed the feet of Judas, who was going to betray him. He washed the feet of Peter, who was going to deny him three times. He washed their feet. When you and I won't even say a hi to someone that may have hurt our feelings. If we would live in humility, there would be unity in the church. But all, everyone has to live in humility. We all have to walk in humility. We all have to be lowliness of mind. We all have to prefer our brother or our sister over ourselves. If we would do that, things would be so much better. People, churches would grow and they would thrive because there would be a love that would be palatable when you walk through the doors. You would know that those people loved each other. Because no matter what kind of mood they were in, they would love on their brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter how they were feeling that day, they would love on one another. Well, I got to tell you, folks, there's been more than a time or two where I've been in a mood and someone's hurt my feelings or I'm upset about something and I, I, I don't want to, you know, be nice. And in my younger days, I wouldn't be nice. But now... I do everything that I can to ignore no matter what someone has done to me to still show love and mercy and grace, to humble myself and still say, what can I do for you? How can I pray for you? 
yeah, you took out my heart and stepped on it. That's okay. God's got it under control. How can I still serve you? That's humility. Pride is the enemy of humility. But the book of the Bible says in Proverbs, it is pride that goeth for destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride ruins everything. Selfishness ruins everything. Humble ourselves. Serve others. Love others. Show grace to others. And it will change the face of the church. Change it completely. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. It is very hard when we are suffering to see anything beyond our own suffering. We are humans. And when you're going through suffering, it is very hard to look for the needs of others and how you can meet them. Someone who else, who too, is suffering. It's hard. But as Christians, we have a responsibility to do that. Right? So many breakups happen within the body of Christ because someone was going through something, they were hurting, they were frustrated, whatever the case may be, and then someone who was also hurting and frustrated came into the picture. And instead of acknowledging, esteeming others more than themselves, looking out for the interests of others, they clash, they fight, there's a split. Because here's the thing, we're all hurting, we're all broken, we're all suffering. The key is to say, I'm suffering, they could be suffering too. The key is, I'm hurting, they may be hurting too. We have to love one another. Serve one another. Doesn't mean you're not going to get your feelings hurt. It doesn't mean I'm not going to get my feelings hurt. It doesn't mean any of those things. It's going to happen. We're humans. But we have a responsibility as children of God to not act like the world. But to forgive and love and proceed in unity. That's how we're supposed to, to act. And it's hard. It's not easy because if it was easy, everybody would do it. If it was easy, churches wouldn't split. Right? If it was easy, we wouldn't have 15 million denominations. Right? If it was easy. It ain't easy. It's hard. I mean, in our tiny little church, it ain't easy. In fact, it may be harder because we all got to look at each other, see each other, say hi, know each other. Ain't no place to hide. <laughs> right? There ain't no place to hide, right? A brother so and the pastor don't talk to you. He can't say, well, there was 300 people I was, he was trying to get to too. Right? Uh, it's, it's hard for me to use that as excuse, right, when we're, th- we're this size. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's hard to hide in a church this size. Yeah. We got to love each other more. We got to show grace more. Right? We got to serve each other more. Because I cannot say someone else will do it. I got to do it. Mm-hmm. We each have to take that responsibility to esteem others, to look out for the need of others more than ourselves. Let us stand. 
Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month, we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.